2: from the recount i'm rena nainen and you're listening to the recount daily pod today's wednesday august 25th
3: you know this idea of not spending money you don't have it used to be a conservative ideal. It was sort of thrown out the window with trump but it's an idea we ought to go back to
2: That was former South Carolina representative and governor Mark Sanford speaking about his new book, Two Roads Diverged, and a possible new path forward for the GOP. We'll get into that a little bit later, but first, your morning headlines. The clock is ticking as President Joe Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal date inches closer. According to the Pentagon, 21,600 people were evacuated from the country in a 24-hour period. Meanwhile, members of the G7 summit pushed for Biden to extend the August 31st deadline. The president spoke on Tuesday, saying he stands by the date, but is preparing contingency plans just in case.
3: I'm determined to ensure that we complete our mission, this mission. I'm also mindful of the increasing risks that I've been briefed on and the need to factor those those risks in. They're real and significant challenges that we also have to take into consideration.
2: Separately, the Taliban said they would no longer allow Afghan nationals to leave, but claimed foreigners would still be able to depart from the airport. The Taliban spokesman also asked all women to stay home because Taliban fighters have not been trained on, quote, how to deal with women. The spokesman gave no timeline for lifting that order. On the COVID front, we now turn to Hawaii, where Governor David Ige asked people not to visit the state due to a surge in COVID cases. Hawaii isn't the only vacation destination where coronavirus cases are on the rise. The CDC added six destinations to the very high COVID-19 travel risk list yesterday. That includes the Bahamas, Haiti, Lebanon, and Morocco. The CDC also revealed that unvaccinated people are currently 29 times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID than those who are fully vaccinated. Now to Capitol Hill, where in a narrow procedural vote, Congress moved to advance the Biden agenda forward on two key issues. First, they passed Biden's $3.5 trillion budget blueprint, which could bring sweeping changes to the nation's health care, education and tax laws. The second guaranteed a vote on the Senate approved $550 billion infrastructure bill with a deadline set for September 27th. Congress also passed the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act that will now move to the Senate. There it faces a tough path forward with deep GOP opposition. And we end with a blow to the Biden administration from the U.S. Supreme Court. It voted to keep the controversial Trump-era Remain in Mexico policy in place. The ruling means the White House will be forced to require asylum seekers to go back to Mexico after filing their asylum papers. And now to our Daily Deep Dive. Among political analysts, there's little disagreement that former President Donald Trump continues to be the de facto leader of the Republican Party. Among former GOP lawmakers, there's a Republican path ahead where that might not be the case. Mark Sanford, former governor and congressman for South Carolina, is one of them. His new book is titled Two Roads Diverged, A Second Chance for the Republican Party, the conservative movement, the nation and ourselves. Mark, welcome.
3: Thank you, Arena. It's a treat to be with you.
2: So I want to take folks back for a second here. Back when you were governor in 2009, you end up flying down to Argentina. You were having an affair with the journalist there. And you told your staff, if anyone calls, if your wife calls, tell them you're hiking in the Appalachian Trail. Anyway, this lie ends up getting exposed, ends up making national headlines When did you realize it was over for you?
3: Well, when you get the call, it wasn't a conspiracy. It was a great lesson in the fact that there's no such thing as a little white lie. It was intended for one person. Instead, it became a national punchline and a national headline. And when you get the call down there, you need to come home. You know your political life is over. You just don't know its form. As it turns out, that was not the case. But there are a whole chapter of different life lessons that were learned in that particular chapter of life. One of which is obviously there's no such thing as a little white lie and the truth matters. There's a lot of introspection that comes on the way down that doesn't come on the way up.
2: Does your story prove that political redemption is possible after maybe your reputation has been torn apart?
3: I don't think it proves anything. I think every story is unique and different. It's my story. And as I say, there are lessons learned. And one of which, as I mentioned earlier, was about the importance of truth. And so the Donald Trump phenomenon comes along, and all of a sudden, there isn't adherence to this notion of truth. And you call it like you see it. And then the political ripples begin to fly. And so I was forgiven for the unforgivable of political infidelities, if you will, but not forgiven for speaking out against Trump.
2: You say in the book that although Trump hijacked the Republican Party, the party does have a second chance and that there's a new path forward. What does that path look like? And how does the Republican Party break Trump's grasp? Is it really possible?
3: I think as with any inflection point in our lives, the same is true for a company. The same is true for a country. That is to go back to the basics of what brought you to power. Go back to the basics. And and for the party, it's, it's not adherence to one personality or one man. It's about adherence to a set of ideas and ideals that had everything to do with why the party came to be of prominence in the first place. You know, this idea of not spending money you don't have it used to be a conservative ideal. It was sort of thrown out the window with Trump, but it's An idea we ought to go back to, the idea of institutions and traditions being the glue that holds our republic together well beyond what's manifested in the Constitution, and Bill of Rights, you know, this idea of a peaceful transition of power. I mean, you could go down a laundry list of different simple things that have been part of what the party has stood for historically and part of where the party has gotten off kilter of late.
2: What makes you think that anyone in a position of power in the Republican Party will listen? to what you're saying?
3: Well, in the short run, certainly not. I mean, as far as why I wrote the book, it's about saying, look, I believe True North to be over here, and time has a way of bringing us back to center. And we've been in sort of a frenzied odd spot, I grant you that. The four of us who spoke out Originally against Trump are all gone now. I mean, Corker and Flake in the Senate, me and Amash in the House. But times are changing. You see the likes of Adam Kinzinger, who's spoken out vociferously. He doesn't have a Southern red district, but he has spoken out nonetheless. You see what happened to Cheney. She was certainly hurt in the process. And that's why I've said somebody like Lindsey Graham is still a canary in the coal mine. I mean, he has doubled, tripled, and quadrupled down on being pro Trump. I think he has a pretty good nose for the current political mood of the moment in the GOP or a place like South Carolina. But that doesn't mean it's locked in forever. And I think that if you look at the history of the wave of politics, we're at an inflection point and this fever is soon going to break. And I think it's important that all of us look for ways of speaking out, whether that's in the larger community or in talking to a neighbor or friend across the dining room table.
2: Who do you consider your allies in taking back the GOP party from Trump?
3: You know, it's an informal band of brothers and sisters. Uh, I did a a thing called Pines and Politics last night here in Charleston, and it's put on by the local paper and people from the community come out to have a beer and to talk politics. It was held at a local brewery. And one of the fellows that was there came up to me afterwards, said, you know, I've been a regular GOP stalwart. I don't see that many stalwarts of the past, but I see a lot of new faces here, and isn't that interesting? We had a conversation about it. And I think, again, it comes down to a community and neighbor-by-neighbor conversation that's going to turn things around. Things are ultimately never turned around in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., by its very nature, is a reactive environment. It reacts to what people are saying on the streets of Cleveland, or the streets of Houston, or the streets of Charleston, South Carolina. It does not lead. It cannot lead. It's not the nature of the entity the founding fathers set up, which makes it, again, that much more important that we're having this conversation. And more importantly, a lot of other folks across this country are doing the same.
2: All right, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be back with former governor and congressman from South Carolina, Mark Sanford, the author of Two Roads Diverged, A Second Chance for the Republican Party, the conservative movement, the nation, and ourselves. You're listening to The Recount Daily Pod.
0: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
2: Welcome back to the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from the Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm joined by former Governor and Congressman for South Carolina, Mark Sanford. I'm so fascinated by South Carolina politics. How would you explain South Carolina politics to someone who might not understand what's happening today?
3: Uh, People have oftentimes said, you know, it's too small to be a country and too big to be an insane asylum. So (laughs) it it has a... uh, A unique and distinct personality. I would say that politics down here are a blood sport. People hit really, really hard. If you look at what was done to McCain in the Bush primary a number of years back, I mean, people hit very hard, at times unethically so. I have a real problem with that, but it is the nature of the beast. But, you know, people are conservative, uh, but wild in their politics, I guess is the easiest way that I'd describe it.
2: In your book, you have a chapter on prescriptions for the nation. And in it, you write that people should re-embrace truth, reason, science, and math, among other things. And people on both sides of the aisle have been working on this for decades now. How do you get people to do that?
3: Again, I don't get people to do anything. Uh, I mean, I can talk about it and raise it, which is, again, the point of the book. It's incumbent upon all of us. I mean, Jefferson, years ago, talked about how it was the active participation of citizenry, that a republic depended on. This is not a passive sport. I mean, democracy 101 is something that requires a shoulder of every one of us leaning into it. Hopefully I can be a catalyst with this book and saying, hey, might we not talk about this? I mean, think about this issue of science. It's insane where the Republican Party has gone of late. Just as it's equally crazy for Democrats to say, basically, I don't believe in math. And Bernie Sanders or AOC will come up with some really, really crazy numbers on spending that aren't in any way paid for, and people will go along with it. So I I think we have a math and science problem these days within the parties, and it's incumbent upon all of us as regular working day citizens to bring the parties back to reality.
2: Your book takes a hard look at the Republican Party, where we are at politics, but I was also surprised at just how brutally honest you were about your assessment on your own life. You refer to yourself, and I'm quoting here, as a dead man walking twice in your political career, 2009, with that extramarital affair when that went public, and the second, when you actually lost your seat in Congress in 2018. Why rehash all these events and play it out in public at this moment?
3: Because I think to have credibility, you got to be real. I think one of the things that's lacking in politics these days is authenticity. And everybody pretends to be perfect while the other person pretends to be perfect. And it's just a fake conversation. I'm tired of fake conversations. And I think to offer some level of credibility in what I have to offer in prescription, you got to be real. And that means laying out not your perfect report card, but your whole life report card, which has blemishes because that's real. I mean, the reality of our human existence is nobody goes through this walk unscathed. And that every one of us has a moment or a chapter or a week or a day where we wish we could push rewind play, but that's not life. And the hope is that through those blemishes, through those gray spots, through those black spots, you learn and you become a better person for it. And hopefully, as a consequence, have a little bit more wisdom in offering ideas going forward, and hopefully a little bit more humility and empathy in the way that you offer those ideas.
2: We've got to pause. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with the former governor and congressman from South Carolina, Mark Sanford.
0: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of.
2: Welcome back to The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm joined by former governor and congressman of South Carolina, Mark Sanford, and the author of The Two Roads Diverged. What do you think a new Republican Party looks like?
3: One that actually takes a stand consistently for the ideals that it supposedly stands for. I don't know what your political persuasion is, and it really doesn't matter. What does matter in our country is that we have a robust debate and conversation between left and right, because ideas of the right alone will lead you down one path, the left alone will lead you down another. And it's that debate back and forth, that Socratic process of bouncing ideas back and forth as one disagrees, that allows you to come to the center and come up with better solutions. You know, there's a historically significant event with the Bay of Pigs incident in Cuba under the Kennedy administration. And they call it groupthink because you had a group of incredibly bright minds in the room, but they came up with a totally faulty set of solutions that caused people to die in the process. Groupthink happens when you're not comparing and contrasting ideas, and that's what's so wrong with tribalism. Tribalism is not about saying, well, you know, they got a good point over there, and they have a good point over there, and let, let's combine a couple of these ideas and come up with a solution. Tribalism is because the chief says it's so, it it is so. And we just sort of accept it. And that's what I've seen with the Republicans of late within the Republican Party. And it's really, really dangerous stuff.
2: How do you move beyond tribalism? How do you shake those Republicans off of Trump's
3: grip? Well, I mean, nothing lasts forever. And so time will have its own effect. But most of all, the big effect in the American system is what we the people think. And it's incumbent upon us to actually think in that process. We all want a Santa Claus. We all want somebody to you know, answer life's problems for us. The thought process, it's very dangerous. When people look to a savior in politics who they think can solve it all for them, and the reality is that's not the case. That's not what our founding fathers set up. They set up a system with checks and balances so that we would have not a king but a fairly deliberative and messy system as we debate ideas back and forth as Americans.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, in 2019, you mounted a brief challenge to Trump. Uh, You dropped out 65 days later. In the past 50 years, no sitting president has ever lost the ticket to a primary challenger. What were you hoping to accomplish by taking on Trump?
3: It was never a, a, a take on of Trump in a traditional sense in terms of a real president to run. The folks that had long supported me had come to me after I had lost in 18, first lost in about 25 years. And their point is you, you have about 25 years invested. What's another couple of months if, and it's a big if, but if you might be able to elevate the debt deficit spending issue that has long animated your time in politics? And ultimately, I decided to do that. I said, OK, it's, it's a long shot bet. But if we can raise this issue not being talked about in the last presidential cycle, which desperately needs to be talked about, then it'd be worth it. As it turns out, it was a waste of time. We weren't able to elevate that issue. And that really wasn't a forum by which you could have a deliberative debate on debt and spending, which de- desperately still needs to take place because both parties have forgotten its importance.
2: Mark, at the end of your book, you wrote open letters to an array of people, including President Biden, former President Trump, Ted Cruz Nancy Pelosi, Democrats, MAGA supporters, and even your Facebook commentators. So I'm guessing you don't believe these people will actually read your letters. But what are you hoping to achieve by writing them?
3: Well, I think for any political figure, I was a political figure for a long time, it's important to nail down... Anchor your beliefs. I, I, I hate the approach of politics that says, I'm with you, whatever I'm with you is. And, and in essence, people make no stands because they want to be as fluid as possible and simply be around. The name of the game is staying in the game, period. It's not what you stand for. It's just staying in the game. That's not my form of politics. And so it was a chance for me to sort of nail down and anchor, if you will, some of my beliefs to some of these different figures, whether that's these folks on Facebook, or to somebody like a Ted Cruz, or to somebody like Joe Biden. We're in critical decisions are at play. Are you going to step to the plate in helping us to find our center again? Or are you going to listen strictly to the left in the way that you approach things? And I think that those letters are important as reference points.
2: What do you hope it is that people take away from your book?
3: That indeed, we're at a big inflection point as a civilization. If we don't get this right, we will come undone as a civilization. And there are two linchpins here. One is the debt deficit spending issue. And the other is this larger phenomenon that we've seen under Trump, wherein truth doesn't matter, reason doesn't matter, debate doesn't matter, just do as I say does. That is not the American way. That is not what the founding fathers set up in a very deliberate system of checks and balances wherein they divided power both laterally and vertically. And if we mess with that and move to this system of tribalism where it's just Republican versus Democrat, red versus blue team, urban versus rural, black versus white, if that is the way we go moving forward, it too will undo our civilization. So two very lethal pills that are floating around out there. And the question is, what are we going to do about them as Americans?
2: Mark, I want to thank you very much for joining us and for sharing your story. Best of luck with this book.
3: I appreciate it. Thanks so much.
2: And now to The Look Ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. The CEOs of Apple, Microsoft and Amazon are at the White House meeting with President Biden to discuss efforts private companies can take to improve cybersecurity. Their meeting follows a dramatic uptick in ransomware and online attacks over the past year. Guilty. That's what Igor Fruman is expected to plead in court today on charges of campaign finance fraud after initially pleading not guilty. Fruman was an associate of Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, hired to help unearth damaging information about then-candidate Joe Biden's son Hunter and his business dealings in Ukraine. And finally, how exactly did COVID start? Sometime later this week, President Biden is expected to get his first look at an intelligence report on the origins of the coronavirus. The unclassified version of the report is expected to be released sometime before the weekend. Have a great day, everyone. See you back tomorrow. This is The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to former Governor Mark Sanford for being on the show. And if you like this episode, I hope you'll subscribe to The Recount Daily Pod and leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Ninen.